As a fish coming to you from the QI offices in Covent Garden. My name is Anna Tushinsky, and I'm sitting here with Anne Miller, James Harkin, and Alex Bell. And once again, we have gathered around the microphones with our four favourite facts from the last seven days. And in no particular order, here we go, starting with Anne's facts. My fact is that Ruby, a sheep who had been genetically engineered to glow in the dark, was accidentally sold to an abattoir. <laughs> <laughs> So you would have thought if you've genetically engineered a sheep, you're keeping pretty close tabs on it. Apparently not. How did that happen? Well, actually, it may have been an insider job. It may have been someone with a a grudge against the company. What, one of the other sheep? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's very cloak and dagger stuff. So this is the um, National Institute for Agricultural Research in Paris. And they actually, it was um, Ruby's mother, Emerald, was um, given this jellyfish gene, which makes her glow in the dark. And then Emerald had a lamb, Ruby, who had the same gene, but I'm not sure if it was active if she actually was glowing. But it was revealed uh, this year that last year, um, Ruby, uh, yeah, made it into the food chain. And they've been very quick to reassure people that they weren't a risk. If you ate Ruby, you're all right. But somebody did buy her. Someone did eat her. We are constantly making animals glow in the dark these days. And it's always for apparently scientific purposes. But I'm so <laughs> suspicious. And also, it's always bloody jellyfish, isn't it? They're, yeah. I think sometimes anemones, but usually we just seize a jellyfish from the sea, take its genes out, inject them into something. They must be so fed up with it. It's because jellyfish have this particular protein called GFP, which uh, stands for... Green fluorescent protein. Yep. Uh, and they, uh, this particular protein, when you put it into other animals, it doesn't really have any other effect on the animal or hardly anything anyway. And so it's quite safe. There are other yeah. animals which have these kind of proteins, but they're not quite as useful really. Yeah, yeah they can use it as a marker so they can see what happens to the cells. They can use it in stem cell research and they yeah. monitoring. Well, in yeah. 2011, scientists created kittens which glow in the dark in order to help fight AIDS because apparently FIV, which is the feline immunodeficiency virus, is very similar to HIV. And so it was apparently legitimate to make kittens glow in the dark. I think it's legitimate anyway just to do that. Yeah, back. when we say glow in the dark... Um, it does annoy me because it's not like you turn the lights off and they glow, is it? You under actually have to UV put light. UV light on them, which is so different. Scorpions glow in the dark under UV light. Naturally. Yeah. Didn't so they'd be pretty cool to take to a nightclub. What <laughs> <laughs> if you want more personal space on the dance floor? Yeah. <laughs> Got yeah. my scorpion here. Gin and tonic also um, glows in the dark under UV lights, and I know which I'd rather have. Yeah. Scorpion, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so on sheep, they recognise each other's faces, don't they, apparently? But not when they get sheared. Yeah, so this really confuses <laughs> me. Really like- when they're sheared, they have to re-establish a different hierarchy and fight again to be leaders because they don't recognise each other. But I would have thought if you're recognising faces... Uh, I was just, just relatedly, I guess, I was reading this week that in chickens or in roosters, mm-hmm. uh, the first chicken to go cock a doodle do in the morning is always the most dominant one. And if you get rid of the most dominant one, then it will be the second most dominant who does the cock a doodle doing. And sheep, they, so they weren't much clever. Well, I guess we say this about all animals that we think are idiots and we revise it, but <laughs> sheep are cleverer than people give them credit for. Dan I think much they? cleverer than you give them credit for. <laughs> it will never happen with Dan Schreiber. He's <laughs> the exception that proves the rule. Um, so they are one of only two animals, I think, who can recognize shapes and remember shapes really quickly so they're better at monkeys than do- at doing this so mm-hmm. if you give them like food in different shape buckets and you put food in one bucket but not in another then they'll remember the right shape bucket that it's been in and then and come the back other to animals, the other animals humans the other animals most humans can do that again with dan i would question <laughs> <it>. the majority <laughs> of humans the movie predator 
um, came out in 1987, and the blood of the Predator is kind of glow-in-the-dark, and the way they made it was mixing KY jelly with green glow stick fluid. Really? Mm. Yeah. Fun yeah. trip to the shops for that intern. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You would definitely use the um, yeah, self scanner. Self scanner, wouldn't yeah. you? <laughs> Unexpected items. <laughs> uh, the fluid is called Biz Two Four Five Trichlorophenol Six Carbopentoxyphenol Oxalate. Nice. Catchy, um, snappy. Sialum for short. <laughs> Do you know there's an ice cream company called Lick Me I'm Delicious who make a glow in the dark ice cream? Really? It uses the same jellyfish protein, um, which I reckon it gives off a glow when it touches your tongue, but it'll cost you about 140 quid a scoop. So wow, maybe we could share one to... rather than one each. Yeah. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, how do they make it glow, do you say? Uh, they use the jellyfish. Oh, they should Again. have done it in jelly rather than ice cream, shouldn't they? Yeah. Hey. Is, maybe that's what jelly is. It's just jellyfish <laughs> oh, with no. their legs pulled off. <laughs> 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 that's why it always stings your mouth a bit. <laughs> Nobody else. That's why you have to urinate on your mouth whenever you've eaten jelly. <laughs> Get wondering why people were always doing that to me. <laughs> okay, time for fact number two, and that is Alex. My fact this week is that during the launch of BBC Two in 1964, a live kangaroo got stuck in a lift at Television Centre. And is I it? assume its tiny arms couldn't reach the buttons? <laughs> no, well, there was a massive power cut just before they went on air. There was a fire at Bassey Power Station, half of London lost power, um, and the whole night was just a massive disaster. Wait, well, what happened to the kangaroo? Uh, it was the mascot of BBC Two, basically. So there was a big run-up to this launch, and the publicity campaign centred around a kangaroo with a joey coming out of its pouch because it was the second channel. Mm-hmm. So the BBC decided to get a live kangaroo in as part of the opening night. It'll probably be W1A. I mean, it does sound like a W1A plot, doesn't it? It does, kangaroo. yeah. I think a bit crazier. I mean, this is all according to the biography of Gerald Priestland, who was a BBC newsreader. The uh, the first time he delivers his news bulletin, uh, they get through like two and a half minutes and then they realise there's no sound going out, so he has to start again. <laughs> um, and, then, and then there's lots of awkward pauses. The, a phone is sitting on his desk and it rings and he picks it up and there's no one there. Um, is it true that the first words that were spoken were a news story about a bus conductress who had been sacked for insulting Pakistani passengers <laughs> and that it included the words that she'd used to insult said passengers? <laughs> <laughs> I read and that then online. the next news story was about that last news story also including the words they'd used a second newsreader has been fired for again saying didn't they have to scupper all their big sort of launch events they were going to have like Kiss Me Kate songs from the musical they were going to have the top comedian from the Soviet Union I think all the plans went away and they had to end up the first thing they showed properly was play school the next day the whole evening was just test cards on the screen and people apologising from the BBC I think it's a great BBC programme I think more, <laughs> BBC should do more of that um, I didn't know I read this thing about there was a thing on BBC in the early days called the toddler truce where there was so kids TV was on from five till six and then they, they would have nothing from six till seven so I think to say to the kids oh look the TV's off you've got to go to bed now and yeah. so they didn't have anything on for this hour and it ended in February 1957 when they brought in a teen when show when everyone went to bed when they brought out a new <laughs> show for teenagers called the six five special and I just love this opening bit because it just sounds so 50s where it opened with this line welcome aboard the six five special we've got a hundred cats jumping here some real cool characters to give us the gas so just get on with it and have a ball <laughs> great wow. even then but they're out of touch <laughs> <laughs> these yeah. days it would you would think there were actual cats though wouldn't jumping you? Yeah. 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 yeah I was just gonna it sounds like a precursor to the internet that program if you're taking it literally and now our troop of dancing felines <laughs> speaking of which there was a channel um, on um, cable in America called the puppy channel which was a 24-7 network showing nothing but puppies 
Oh, uh, this was, I think, in the 90s or maybe 2000s. And of course, it just went out as soon as the internet came and you could get as many puppies as you want whenever you wanted. Oh, no, the sad fate of all porn magazines. <laughs> Don't you know a QI fact about the most watched channel in most countries is the weather forecast? I have, I've read that in uh, the government meteorology site and I haven't been able to find it anywhere else but I decided I trust the government um, but it's but the meteorology department so they, like say, they do say it does say in most countries the weather forecast is the most watched programme um, but it's hard to find like what the definition of the most watched programme would be Or speaking of most watched I reckon the most repeated television programme ever is on BBC2 QI constant no 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 no, no it's not no <laughs> contrary to what um, the Guinness Book of World Records mm. says and what we said on QI as well so we said in series G that it was a short film called Dinner for One yeah. which is massive in Germany they watch it every holiday um, and that's approaching I think 300 repeats in total but I was reading about this thing called trade test transmissions which were these films broadcast in the early days of BBC mm. Two um, they were designed to fill the channel with nice vibrant varied colours which TV manufacturers and retailers could use to test their televisions but it was they were very popular among normal viewers as well um, the most repeated one is apparently a documentary about dam building called The Captive River this is according to uh, the Test Card Circle which is a group of enthusiasts in early UK television um, they're really cool. I remember. Don't laugh at them. Yeah, no, I was going to ask if you're the president. So. <laughs> In the same way that I don't believe the meteorologists that their show is the most popular, I don't believe you that these guys are really cool. You have ulterior motives, Alex. Okay. Um, it was uh, this. So this film, according to them, was repeated almost 550 times over 12 years partly wow. due to the fact that in 1963 a huge fan of the film's director locked himself in the ops room at the BBC and block played the captive river until he was rugby tackled to the ground and eventually deported what? <laughs> <laughs> would you like to hear some early alternatives to the word television from the 1920s which died out telectroscopy visual listening hear seeing radio movies <laughs> I like visual listening as if they didn't have the word watching yeah, yeah. <laughs> in the 20s <laughs> what you do with your ears but with your eyes there was a big discussion well, as to what they were going to call people who watch television as well wasn't it like viewers or watchers or yeah there were loads of different visual listeners <laughs> Um, in October 1983, when the email was just starting to be a thing, um, there was a, pro a two-hour program on the BBC which was uh, to demonstrate little-known technology, and it demonstrated the first email ever shown on the In BBC. 83? Yeah, I know it's so That's weird, isn't it? Really early. So weird. Um, but uh, before they were transmitting the program, one of the tech guys shouted the password to the email account over to someone else. This was overheard by two sort of coder computery guys, and so they hacked into the email. And so live on TV in 1983, the first BBC email said to Do the you presenters, want a bigger cock? <laughs> <laughs> no, what was it? What did it say? Okay. They wrote, they were called Oz and Yug and um, they left them a song saying try oh. his first wife's maiden name this is more than just a game it's real fun hmm, questionable uh, <laughs> but just the same it's hacking 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 <laughs> hacking hacking terrible hacking. what a waste of a hack <laughs> the first HD channel in the Philippines was called Balls <laughs> just a fact do you know why it was yeah because it was a sports channel London Live the TV channel mm. in its first month on eight separate occasions uh, its morning TV show was broadcast for a full hour to no measurable audience what? Uh, and in 2010, S4C, the um, Welsh TV channel, um, they got zero viewers for 196 of the 890 programmes. Oh my God. Isn't that yeah. so depressing? Just think all the effort, the studio being well, no, set no, no, up, wait. everyone doing makeup and everything. But were the actual programmes, were they your test cards on repeat? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've seen this one. I'm not watching it again. Well, yet again, we seem to have a viewership of one. <laughs> 
man in London. <laughs> Screw you. <laughs> there really 200 <laughs> members, guys. <laughs> Speaking of these kind of clubs, it just reminds me, there was a, um, there was a club called, I think they're called the White Dot Club. Um, I remember this from when I used to work uh, for a pub company. Mm. And they used to go around trying to turn off um, TVs in pubs because they thought it was antisocial, people people watching football or whatever, and they should be talking to each other. And they would have these like universal remote controls and then turn off the football when people were mm. watching it um, just to stop people oh. from watching TV. My friend had one of those in school and he would turn on TVs. Turn on TVs. <laughs> he would turn on TVs in the classroom when no one was watching. He was the opposite of this, yeah, this group. Was, I like yeah. the Alex's idea of having like a gang of like, like, you know, like rivals with the chat. We're going back and putting them on with their universal remote. <laughs> yeah. Just coming back again. Or you're watching like the World Cup semi final on a massive screen and then suddenly someone puts on this BBC Two documentary. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, the test car's back on. <laughs> All right, moving on to fact number three, and that is my fact. My fact this week is that Dr. Seuss once wrote a Warner Brothers film that was banned because it accidentally predicted the Manhattan Project. So between 1943 and 1945, the British government enlisted Warner Brothers to produce these propaganda cartoons which show the adventures of this guy called Private Snafu, as in Snafu, which... Situation normal, all effed up. All effed up, indeed. Um, and he was just this completely cack-handed military man, Captain Snafu, who kept on letting all the military secrets spill and messing everything up. And... Yeah, there was this one film which they wrote and it was called Going Home. So Snafu takes a date to the local cinema and uh, this this film shows a news flash which says US secret weapon blasts Japs because uh, you said that in those days. And then Private Snafu leans over to his girlfriend and spills all these all these secrets about how they were making the bomb to her and it was incredibly close it sort of completely paralleled really? what the you know Americans were working on think, at the time do you think what they were worried about is that the Japanese would see this cartoon and think oh my god that's what they're going to do well I don't know it's a good point because they did prevent them from making it but yeah. yeah what did they fear were the Japanese really going to think I bet if the US was going to attack us they'd broadcast it in a film a year exactly. earlier but making a cartoon of it as well which is, is traditionally kind of really stupid escapades mm. that would never happen in real life could be a double, double bluff, bluff. yeah, yeah. Mm. But it must have been confusing for the makers who obviously had absolutely no idea why the way they were told their um oh, yeah. their film couldn't get made. And it what well, I mean the coincidence is bizarre when you look at the plot line of the film. But it was quite interesting this project and it involved all the all the big shots of Hollywood. So the voice of Snafu was Mel Blanc who obviously is um Bugs Bunny and loads of other Warner Brothers characters. And yeah, Dr. Seuss wrote most of the film shorts, so it's thought that he almost certainly wrote that one. Uh, so, Anne, one of the last times you were on the podcast, you took exception to Dr. Seuss, didn't you? Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> oh, well, Dr. Seuss. Dr. Dr. I've done further research into this, actually. And mm-hmm. while it is originally Dr. Zeus, because that's how he would have pronounced it, um, once it started, he started getting bigger in America, he apparently like sort of let took on the rhyming with goose and Zeus to rhyme with goose because it was easier for kids. Yeah, and also oh. he kind of liked the association with Mother Goose because he was um, a children's writer. Oh, really? He, was yeah. um, he wasn't even a real doctor. Maybe that's a bit obvious, but he was. <laughs> 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 no, <I> mean, <laughs> 
he didn't have a doctorate. <laughs> neither, medical, okay. right? Amazingly, neither is Dr. Dre, <laughs> Dr. Fox. I wasn't absolutely sure. I thought maybe he is a doctor. Maybe he's, he did a physics degree or something like that. No, and, it's and because like, I was picturing him like as a GP when you said that. <laughs> 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 What's wrong with me? I cannot tell you. But let me tell you a rhyme. It'll fix it most of the time. Right, <laughs> <laughs> he and a friend invented a thing which sounds pretty terrifying called the Infantograph that they wanted to build for the world fair. They never actually built it, but it was a thing to... You would go with your boyfriend and it would show you what your child might look like. Ooh. I think that sounds creepy. Yeah, I swear the internet can probably do that kind yeah. of thing. These they, days, do, yeah. Yeah. they do, yeah. You see it on Facebook, don't you? Yeah. I, well, maybe maybe <laughs> my friends have actually <laughs> had children. <laughs> <laughs> James keeps leaving messages to his married friends going, oh, don't do that. <laughs> It'll turn out dreadfully. <laughs> Lucky you tested it out first. <laughs> um, so age 14, Dr. Soisius, he worked for the Boy Scouts and the Boy Scouts at that time were made to or were asked to sell war bonds to help the war effort. And he was one of the top 10 sellers in his Boy Scout oh. battalion or whatever they come in. Um, and this meant that he got to meet the president so teddy roosevelt gave out 10 medals to the top 10 sellers of war bonds um but what happened it's so sad teddy roosevelt up on stage is calling all these boys up and dr zeus was the 10th guy there waiting theodore had only been given nine medals no. so it got to medal number 10 theodore went up on stage in front of his parents and all these like hundreds and hundreds of people applause and teddy roosevelt just went uh, what on earth is this boy doing here and then the boy scout leader jumped on stage and dragged him off stage no. to save embarrassment and he said from that point onwards he always had a crippling fear of public appearances I find it a bit weird that the president's reaction on seeing there were nine medals and ten people dressed as boy scouts they would assume the tenth person is an imposter rather than saying are you sure we haven't got the wrong number of medals yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's a really good point I read Sad. this recently Anna you might know this I don't know if it's true or not that there are two Roosevelt's but one of them was actually pronounced the name Roosevelt. Oh, really? Really? Yeah. One of I can't remember which is which, but one of them is, let's say, Franklin D. Roosevelt, and the other one is Theodore Roosevelt, or the other Brilliant. way around, I can't remember. Why? Because they're obviously, you know, they're obviously related, yeah, so why would they have changed it? I believe it's like different branches of the family, and this branch of the family call, called themselves Roosevelt, and this branch called themselves Roosevelt. I've That's not looked brilliant. it up, I just heard War it. War of the Ruses. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah. this um, this movie, this movie mm. that you're talking about, is it true that we're not 100% sure that it definitely was Dr. Seuss who wrote it? As in there was no 100%. credits or anything yeah, like no that? Yeah, no credits. They didn't ever um, credit them. Top and, secret. But yeah. there was a whole range of them, that most of which were written by Dr. Seuss. And most yeah. of them apparently were written by him. But the reason we think this particularly is because of the uh, meter of the lines. Yeah. Because it sounds like a lot of his kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's called um, Anapestic Tetrameter. And it's it goes... Ba ba bum, 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 ba ba bum. Green eggs and ham. Green eggs and it rhymes. But apparently, this is that kind of meter, and he always wrote in that kind of meter. Other people, apparently, according to Wikipedia, who have this meter include Byron's Don Juan. Apparently, that has it, and also Eminem in the way I am. The way I am rhymes also with green eggs and ham. That's a nice link, isn't it? Like carving a path from Byron to Dr. Seuss 100 years later to Eminem 100 years later. Yeah. Yeah. We like that. Um, Dr. Seuss in 1931 uh, illustrated a book called The Pocket Book of Boners. (laughs) Was it a pop up? (laughs) Uh, What sort of boners? Uh, boners in those days meant like a mistake, like a, a blooper kind of thing. Yeah, it still does, doesn't it? Sort of. I mean, no. <laughs> I wouldn't Google it. <laughs> okay, time for our final fact, and that is from James. 
my fact is that the phrase "Why is my poop green?" is googled most commonly between five and six in the morning. God, <laughs> thought I erased my history. <laughs> At what time? Uh, between five and six a.m. So this comes from an article in the New York Times by a guy called Seth Stevens Davidovich. Uh, and it's just a brilliant article with loads of times when it's most likely that people Google things. What I don't mean by that is this is when it's most often. It's more common for people to Google it at that time than it is for them to Google it at any other time. So the percentage of people searching Google for the word lonely peaks at 3.24 a.m. Well, they're all doing it at the same time, so we need to bring them together. Oh, yeah, so you're actually the least... Lo- if you're feeling lonely, that's when you're actually least lonely, because everyone is feeling it too. But they should have an I'm feeling lonely button next to the I'm feeling lucky button. It should pay you up with a random person. The that's called chat roulette. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's and lots it, of bonus. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the phrase how to put on a condom peaks at 10.28pm. Yeah, I love that, because <laughs> uh, that's really sweet that people are yeah. doing that. Because before, we had to have like really awkward lessons in year nine with our English teachers who told us. Like, I think it's better English that you get teacher. to ask... <laughs> it should have been the sex ed teachers, really. They always doubled up. They were very oh, similar. Actually, yeah, we had our guidance teachers, I think. Yeah, and bring hockey sticks in. Do you hockey sticks? No. Expectations were very high. <laughs> did they skull? Yeah. <laughs> and bent at the end. Yep. Yeah, um, actually, this is slightly off topic, but speaking of, you know, girl-boy differences, I was at a pub quiz this week, and there was a picture quiz, and one of the pictures was, what brand is this? Joe Brand or Russell Brand? Jo- All right, yeah, good one. <laughs> yeah, uh, so you would have given the funny answer and not got a point. Uh, the brand was a picture of a Tampax packet with everything on it except the word Tampax, yep. and I was on a team with three boys, and they were all looking at it going, I've never seen that before. Actually, I read a thing once that said that the reason why some men will go to the fridge and say, I can't find the cheese, and you have to go and say, it's right there, yeah. is because a man's brain is more likely to look for, if you're looking for cheese, looking for C-H-E-E-S-E. And so if the cheese is upside down or on the side, it's not what, it's not what you're looking for. <laughs> if you want to hide from a man, stand on your head. <laughs> if you shave men, they can't recognise each other. <laughs> and then they have to fight to see who's the best. See who's the leader. Uh, wow, um, that is that is quite something. Also, I must say, of all the cheese that I buy, usually it's not labelled with the massive word cheese. cheese. <laughs> Again, we're not in a cartoon. <laughs> the first Google computer, the first database, they built uh, a computer housing for it with fans and a cooling system out of Lego. Did and they? You can see a picture of it, so they've got they've still got it it's in like a, you know a glass display case, and it's all multicolored, so it kind of looks like the Google logo. The word Google is an anagram for Go Lego. <laughs> it coincidence. Oh my, oh my god. <laughs> um, I had a look at other sort of clever internet things and things you can track. So there's this guy called Steve Warswick who has built a chatbot called the Mits- Mitsuki. So Mitsuki works by you ask her a question and then she has, every time someone talks to her, she learns appropriate responses and she can search for things and tries to think of a good thing to say back to you. So I asked if she knew any facts, thought it might be a good shortcut to do. <laughs> now we're all out of a job. <laughs> she told me that butterflies taste with their feet. Oh yeah, good. that's wow. been in one of our books. And I maybe she's read them. And that cats can hear ultrasound, which I thought was quite good. Yeah. So then I tried to teach her a new fact that bananas are slightly radioactive. She said, what makes you say that? I said, oh, never mind. And then we tried, <laughs> we tried a little longer. But what I like is that obviously I was using it to try and do my work, where people probably using it as an online girlfriend, let's be honest. And so I said, shall we try again? Me and teaching you the facts. And she said, once more, do you mean you and me? It may require an alteration in my personality. 
I said, no, no, I meant the fact about bananas. <laughs> it, it, it is very fun. I recommend you all try out Mitsuki. A couple of facts about what happens when you Google something. So if you Google something now, that's one of 3.5 billion things that people Google every day. 20% of those things have never been Googled before. That is um, interesting, Alex, but why is my poop green? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it would be 40%, again. but you keep asking that. Um, then your query takes 0.2 seconds to go 1.5 thousand miles and go through a thousand computers to get your results. I just find that completely mind-blowing. Yeah. That, yeah, like, we have access to those incredible resources. These are um, so easy, but they are amusing. You know the old Google autofill when people send in their uh, Google autofills for them? Yeah. Uh, just a couple of my favorite ones. So um, someone typed in, is it N, letter N? And the suggestion is, is it normal for my left nipple to be bigger than my other two? <laughs> <laughs> Someone typed into Google, if I, and the letter A, and the suggestion, the first suggestion was, if I ate myself, would I be twice as big or completely disappear? Wow. That's good. Deep. It's really good, isn't it? Yeah. Nobody knows. Someone typed in my, and then the letter B, and the suggestion, Google, first suggestion from Google is, my balls are stuck in my Xbox. <laughs> <laughs> and my ex is not happy. <laughs> Okay, that's all of our facts. We'll be back again next week with another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish. And in the meantime, you can get these guys on their Twitter handles, uh, which are Anne. At Miller underscore Anne. James. At Eggshaped. Alex. At Alex Bell underscore. And you can email me at podcast at qi.com. All right, until next week then. Goodbye. Goodbye.